Good morning to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. We talk about representation a lot here uh, at Jew in the City, and we talk about um, the OTD community a lot at, at Jew in the City, and we talk about issues within the Orthodox community that may make people not want to stay, that may help contribute to uh, bad representation. Um, usually what you hear is either the Orthodox perspective or people who are uh, trying to find a way to return or make amends with the Orthodox perspective. Um, but today we have a really interesting perspective that um, I think just kind of broadens the conversation. And I think the more voices we can bring in, um, the more we can kind of uh, just kind of approach these conversations with nuance, because at the end of the day, um, there is no one Orthodox or Hasidic or Satma reality. There are many realities. And the more we can speak to people from different life perspectives uh, and, you know, kind of different brains, the more we can paint, I think, a, just a more um, authentic picture of what um, different people's experiences look like growing up in these communities. So I have with me today, Frida Weisel. I've been actually saying her name wrong in my head the whole time I've been reading her name. And so I just, I think, said it right. Um, she yes. grew up in the, the Sabra Hasidic community. Uh, she is no longer observant, but she has stayed close to the community. She does tours in Williamsburg. She has a new YouTube channel that's sort of exploring the community. Um, she's a fabulous writer. And um, from my perspective, you know, uh, her claim to fame for me is that she was one of uh, the sort of two voices that helped inspire our Makom branch. So um, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on my show today. So thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you, Allison. I'm excited to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. So just, um, you know, to give a little background of where you grew up and, um, well, first of all, you introduced me um, in one article that you wrote about like the different hair coverings within Monroe and sort of your family was the, you know, this of the strictest kind. So can you kind of start us off with a little bit about what your background looked like growing up in as a Samar Hasidic woman? Yeah, so I grew up in Carrie's Joel. Uh, I grew up in a very, I suppose there was a spectrum in every Hasidic family, in every Hasidic community, including in Carrie's Joel. And my family was probably on the more conservative side of that spectrum in terms of stringency. Um, I um, thought I would live my entire life in the community, frankly, and I am um, still surprised by my journey. I, when I was 25, I left the community with my son, Seth, and um, I thought I would study some parts of the city community that fascinated me and that felt like loose ends, especially the history of women shaving their heads, which really bothered me. And uh, I felt I needed closure in order to understand that um, custom that I had been practicing for five years before I left the community. And while I was a graduate student, I was asked to give a tour in Williamsburg. And somehow from there, I ended up becoming a regular in the neighborhood and giving tours professionally. I've been giving tours since, um, I guess, 2013. And uh, I've been writing and exploring and documenting. I think the city community is something that when I was in it, I often felt very voiceless, like people were looking at us, like we were 
freaks like we were weird like i didn't get a chance to express myself the only people who i felt were really speaking for us were either people who left and were very angry or people who were the designated authorities the hierarchies usually male almost exclusively male who got to tell what felt like a very pr spin and it was for me very important to feel like i shared a perspective on this very unique world from an everyday woman's perspective. And um, since leaving, that's been my journey, both with my tours, which I've given to thousands of people in the neighborhood and with my work on my blog, documenting, like I love to document street posters, toys, all sorts of things that the community is evolving with, the, the music scene. There's so much going on in the community that no one seems to be documenting in academia or, or sociology or in journalism. So I try to do my part um, and write about that. And of course, I, I speak to my own OTD journey, which was a very, very painful and difficult uh, journey to get here. And um, the last half year or so, I've been doing videos of the neighborhood, which is especially challenging. I'm sure Allison, you know, trying to get people to agree to be filmed is is very hard. But I'm I'm trying. I have this extreme urge to to put something out there that is neither the black nor the white, um, but allows for uh, a nuanced understanding of people who are maybe different from what most of my customers expect. Mm -hmm. but are still very human. And mm -hmm. um, I, I think of my work as a part of my lifelong journey. It's really uh, tremendous. I just want to add, um, you know, in terms of, I, I've written about uh, you, Anju, in the city without naming you specifically. Um, there were really two individuals that, um, you know, helped uh, spark uh, my realization for the need for Makom to be started. Uh, one was actually an ex-Hasidic couple that came to a talk I was giving to college students in Muncie and said that they will raise ultra-Hasidish, couldn't stay there anymore, but wanted to retain their observance. You know, they liked what Judaism looked like on Jew in the city. Could I help them fit into a world like mine? Which really just floored me because my Yiddish at that point was like, you know, Oive and Schwitz and, you know, Mamashina, like just listen to my grandmother would, you know, kind of quell at me, but definitely that was the one. <laughs> Um, and it happens to be that they asked for help and I was ready to help them. And I got interrupted when we were talking and I looked up and they were gone. And I sort of had this longing or feeling like the people that told me they were lost um, now got lost from me. And I felt terribly guilty. Um, and I talked to a bunch of people about um, sort of maybe there's a need for us to do something to be more inclusive for people that have left but don't want to leave all the way. And a whole bunch of people told me I'll get put in the room and nobody's going to fund this. So I kind of gave up on that idea for about nine months until I read a blog post that you wrote about spending three years trying to acclimate. I believe that's the right amount of time um, in a new from community outside the Hasidic world and just feeling rejected by neighbors, you know, in terms of Shabbos invites, in terms of your son having no one to play with. And, you know, kind of after a few years of not feeling like anyone wanted, you know, kind of uh, ex-Hasidic. I think kind of felt like garbage um, yeah. kind of coming up and saying, uh, so see you later. And so that was, uh, that was heartbreaking. You said the journey, it's your, your journey was heartbreaking to go through. It was heartbreaking to read. I really wanted to elevate um, that story. And uh, instead of people pointing figures and saying, you know, why didn't they stay? Why didn't they throw the baby out with the bathwater? Like, well, maybe we didn't give them an option to stay and to feel included. So I think that's why the language of 
walk home um, really fits for someone that doesn't feel like they have a place that it's up to us to say, you're not from around here. As a Balchuva, um, I always felt so welcomed in the, you know, from communities that I, uh, you know, tried to join. And, and that made a difference because I wasn't from these places. Um, and so I just want to thank you for, you know, uh, sharing that, even though it was uh, deeply painful and just explain to people kind of where where you're coming from in this whole in this whole process. Um, let's talk mm -hmm. about and I think, you know, in terms of you mentioning kind of the angry OTD voice, I have a, I really have a problem. I think like both of you sort of like both extremes and I will take some uh, responsibility that, you know, I think when I started uh, this process, I was more on the PR side of things, really simply due to ignorance. Um, you know, what mm -hmm. I had seen were the healthier, happier parts of the from world. And I think it's only due to exposure to seeing more of a broader picture. Do I understand, you know, more of what people uh, have gone through and more of what we do need to talk about in order to change. But um, I guess if you could go into more specifics, um, what do you see, you know, with, uh, you know, the, you know, kind of angry OTD angle that bothers you that isn't nuanced enough? And what do you see about sort of the spokespeople PR, you know, uh, designated people that bothers you and isn't nuanced enough? Uh, yeah, that's a very good question, Allison. Uh, in terms, I'm going to answer your second first. Um, my experience in the from world as an ex-Hasidic woman was definitely that people were at once looking, I very often felt a kind of condescension to the Hasidic community I came from, a kind of, um, oh, they are so extreme. But yet, at the same time, I felt that people were mistrustful of someone who had left um okay. in the from world that's a, a part of my experience i there there are different parts there are the people who are like rabbis who are always going to say oh all the women love their lives and all of us are very happy and our community is perfect and and um and and we'll t speak to issues that i didn't feel were necessarily uh, the center of the experience of the ordinary woman. So there's there's that. There's one part which are the formal representatives of the community, the the people who will be in the media, um, mm -hmm. which I often feel their biggest problem, besides the fact that they have a an, an agenda to defend a community that's often really portrayed in a negative light. I also feel like the issues that they will speak to ultimately are predominantly male and reflect a male world. But but then there's the second part, um, which is the people who don't necessarily defend the community to outsiders, but would defend the community to me, which was my most negative experience, where I thought when I first left, I thought I'd go to more modern people. That's what we called them, um, often yeshivish people. And I thought they would say, oh, we welcome you with open arms. Um, your relatives were so extreme. And I was very shocked. I was so naive. I was very shocked to find that people were very uncomfortable with criticism of the very Hasidic community that they often looked up to. I know. I didn't. I didn't think so. I think they would not want their children to become Hasidish. I had the sense that they didn't want their children to join Satmar. They would be devastated if their children joined Satmar, and yet that was my 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 impression. Um, I don't think it was articulated that they they wouldn't want to be in that world, but they they perhaps looked up to or or wanted to 
preserve. They didn't want to hear criticism of mm-hmm. and, and were very uncomfortable with. And also um, the institution of the from world was uncomfortable with someone who represented that threat. For instance, I tried to get my son into uh, an orthodox yeshiva and I was turned down because they said it's a slippery slope we don't want to get involved with this you know exocytic it's it, you know who knows where you're going to go and to some gr- the degree they had a point I did leave ultimately I did expose my child to more than um, was okay by their yeshiva standards but also uh, this left me with absolutely no options for my child that it was either and from there there was nothing all the way to what seemed to me to be Salomon Schechter. Um, everything else was closed off in terms of, of yeshiva, especially as a single, as a divorced woman, uh, single mother, um, that felt especially like it was the case. And that was, I remember when, when they told me that they, I went for a meeting trying to get my son into school. I was so desperate. And they told me no. And they said, we don't want someone from Chesich background. We don't know where you're going to go next. I remember how terribly devastating that was to me. Uh, it was shocking. It was, I was very surprised. I should have had you on during uh, the three weeks to really talk about, like, you know, uh, these issues of sinaschinim and, you know, uh, loving your fellow Jew, um, you know, in a, just with an open heart and open arms. I do want yeah. to just point out, though, that I would say in the New York, New Jersey area, in the modern and centrist Orthodox world, there really is... Um, a decent number of ex-Hasidim coming into the schools and the schools doing a lot of adapting uh, to, you know, make room for them. And I don't know if you ever checked out such schools before or if Modernists just seemed, you know, basically non-Jewish to you at that point and it was too far. But I, I hear your point. I am aware of the schools that, you know, um, you know, have this attitude. Um, but I do want to just note that there are um, schools that are learning more and are, you know, making steps towards inclusivity. And we've had meetings with, you know, um, different schools to kind of raise the issues for them of, you know, how students need to be included and what um, between academic and social uh, cultural things, uh, you know, what they should be aware of. So just to give a little bit of hope, um, but also validate that um, it's extremely painful. This is a good segue now to my next question, which is, why are you not bitter? Um, you know, if you were hurt uh, where, you know, you came from that wasn't the right fit and then you tried to, um, you know, find a place somewhere else and they weren't interested in making room, um, that sounds like a recipe for um, wanting to show a one-sided approach to the community and kind of showing the world how bad they are and, you know, why they deserve all the criticism that, you know, they usually get. So why, why haven't you taken that approach? Well, uh, I guess that that leads me to be able to answer the second part of the question as well about uh, being bitter when you're uh, OTD. I I do understand where they come from. I don't think it's an exclusively orthodox thing to be uh, selective in the students you allow into your schools. And I I think that it needs to be worked on. I think it is is extremely... Um, destructive. And I also am glad to hear that there are schools that work on it. I also know now a lot more. And I think there are more modern Orthodox schools that would be a lot more open and a lot more comfortable with a more diverse um, student body. But I I see these things in the context of the 
it is wrong, but I also, and I'm, I'm hurt by it. I, I carry the hurt and it's many, many years later. And my, my son is very well settled in, in a completely different school system. And, and it still bothers me. And when someone tells me that they are in this helpless position of not being able to place a child in school because their background is something that, that the yeshiva system will turn its noses up, I get very upset. But I also understand it in the larger context of these are institutions that are trying to self-preserve, that are trying to create a certain culture within. You see the same thing in, in private schools. And, and often there are bad actors and there are terrible scenarios that I, I don't see it to be more um, evil or, or different from the larger scope of how how we try to navigate creating and our communities. Um, I think it needs to be something we speak out against. I I think it is a very negative thing to tell a single mother. It is very, as you say, uh, to tell a single mother, we can't accept your child. And I think it needs to be, I I don't agree with people who say, you're making a chal Hashem, you can't speak to it. I think it needs to be spoken to the, the negatives in the community, but that doesn't make me think, oh, this community is one horrible, abusive, oppressive world stuck in the in the eternally eternal past and 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 oh poor everyone who's there you're so brave for having escaped it i see it more in the context of these are faults and all societies have faults and there are particular faults in the firm community that really bother me and there are others that i that don't touch the same nerve but i also I'm mystified when I see outsiders treat the from community's flaws as if it's some anomaly, as if their world is perfect. For instance, with the education issue, people will often say, what a horrible world. The boys aren't educated in the in the Hasidic communities of Williamsburg. That is awful. You know, we've heard comments of people saying we need to get these kids and, and kidnap them out of that world and, and rescue them. And yet at the same time, my son in public school wasn't able to attend school for a year. And I think the faults of sending children to school on Zoom are also substantial. So I think people are willing to look at other societies and criticize them without wanting to have a larger, wanting to see it within balance that there are things that work, there are things that don't work. These aren't inhuman demons. These are uh, parts of a society that has its benefits and also has it's shortfalls, and I think it should be acceptable to speak to the shortfalls, but you should always see it in context. Totally. I would also add the sex abuse issue. There's both, you know, serious issues to contend with in the firm world and also U.S. gymnastics and Hollywood and, you know, exactly schools. And um, I find it outrageous to, you know, that um, these people are wagging their fingers when, there have been so many cover-ups. The one thing I'll say is that um, we do hold ourselves to a higher standard if we believe that we're, you know, the chosen people. And I think that there's sort of a sense in the larger world that the Jewish people have a certain, you know, kind of role in in society, in history. That would be the interesting. But but what I would say is that that's I think it should be on us to hold ourselves to the highest standards for the rest of the world. It's not on them to believe omnivchar. That's not part of their you know uh, faith uh, to have to believe that. I think at the end of the day they should um, just see us as human beings and realize that you know we are flawed like all human beings. But from our perspective, 
um, you know, I think we really do have to, um, you know, again, not worry how this will make us look. Again, I, I wrote about this recently, and we may have discussed this uh, offline with rising anti-Semitism. I think we do have to be careful about where we put these conversations. And I think it sort of puts the onus on from media to make space to tell stories like yours and tell, tell stories of what systemic issues there are so that we can make things better so that people don't feel voiceless so that people, you know, uh, don't have to be hurting all alone, but rather, um, you know, being self-reflective is a sign of a healthy society. It's actually a super Jewish value to do a cheshbon hanefesh, you know, um, a calculation of your soul. Um, so I think that's what I would like to see, um, you know, to not be, you know, uh, only positive without recognizing the negative, only negative without recognizing the positive, um, and, but, you know, kind of have these conversations internally. Let's talk specifics. You've written about unorthodox. Um, I know that your take on that, it was very interesting because um, I think you may have been more critical of unorthodox than I was, which I think is fascinating. Um, you know, there were, I think, kind of your more run-of-the-mill, like from people doing the, um, maybe you could call it apologetics side of, you know, this is all wrong. This is, you know, definitely nothing like this. Because I had Mako members who told me that parts of unorthodox were triggering to them, I wanted to make room for saying that, you know, um, the unorthodox story speaks to some OTD stories, but not all OTD stories, not all Hasidic experiences. Um, are there any sort of specific, um, you know, things we've seen in media, unorthodox, my orthodox life, any of the things that have been in the media recently that, um, you know, you could share kind of your, your quick um, opinion on what they got right, what they got wrong? I didn't watch my unorthodox life that I didn't even bother with. I saw the trailer and I said, forget it. Um, that was, that was very bad. Um, and I, you know, I look at it from the perspective of what kind of media is it? Is it, you know, I look at it from the perspective of media criticism. Is this media that enlightens, that challenges, that, that does something fresh and new, or is this something that is simply taking advantage of, um, uh, people's people's hunger for a certain kind of story, or for instance, uh, my unorthodox life. In the trailer, she says um, something to the effect of um, her freedom was uh, to wear extremely uh, short skirts or something like it. I, I might be misremembering it, you know, but that right. she said mini skirts for her, you know, was the ultimate freedom. Yes, was know. the ultimate freedom exactly. And and I thought to myself. As a feminist, I thought to myself, well, that is a really horrible thing. You're essentially objectifying yourself. Uh, you're essentially uh, turning something very, very valuable to me, freedom, which is such a powerful, uh, broader concept. And you're making it all about the male gaze and essentially commodifying yourself and making yourself attractive, uh, like selling, selling yourself almost like a product, the way she sold shoes. That's, that's how I read it. Um, and, and interestingly, I thought that was a very, um, perhaps, um, it was, it was a very feminist critique. And, and interestingly, I got pushback when I said that and people said, everyone has a different definition of freedom. Um, so I, I think m my perspective comes from a feminist place often and the, the oftentimes people will be uncomfortable with uh, hearing that, especially because if they come from the from community, um, there's there's a lot of a misunderstanding of, of what it means to, to exocytum might not be fully appreciative of what it means to 
criticize the media that you're seeing portraying the from world. So I am not criticizing unorthodox as a defense of the orthodox world. I criticize unorthodox as a piece of media. Just what I saw it as something that was very much not trying to be honest, like my unorthodox life's trailer, which I only watched a trailer. It felt like it was opportunistic. It was not trying to challenge the reader. Uh, it was not trying to challenge the viewer. And ultimately, of course, the effect of that is to increase anti-Semitism, which is not where my criticism was coming from. But I see as a tour guide, most of the people who come on my tours know one thing about the Satmar Hasidic community, what they saw on unorthodox. And what they saw there, they see as fact, and they will then build whatever else they see on that, which will make them say, oh, this is a really oppressive people. And um, they, it is very hard to disabuse them of these very strong feelings that are originally planted by a show like unorthodox, which while I don't necessarily come from the perspective of being worried about these things, I do I do see it as dehumanizing. I, I don't necessarily see it as anti-Semitism. I see it as very dehumanizing. And that's really what bothers me. When I give a tour and people walk around and they and they they see everything with a lens that unorthodox produced of this negative, cold, harsh, inhuman world, it bothers me. It really bothers me. I feel like I'm doing something wrong by bringing these people into this world to just reaffirm a very, very negative view of human beings and people who, you know, the the story of the Holocaust is so alive in Williamsburg where I give tours. It's just so hard to to not see all of that in the context of that. So I want to jump now to in the last few minutes to your show that you started. I do just want to add that I believe that um, the path from dehumanization to um, anti-Semitism or attacks on Jews is actually a very small space because mm -hmm. the Nazis, you know, with their propaganda turned us into vermin and rats and less human, you know, creatures. Exactly. When someone is less human, it becomes easy now to hurt them. So I just want to sort of put that out there, but let's spend these last few minutes understanding your perspective now. Your first video uh, is on a woman named, uh, is it Pearl in Williamsburg? So what is this video about? What do you hope to accomplish on your YouTube channel? Well, I actually have a lot of videos on my YouTube channel by now. I've, I My most recent video is with Pearl, a Hasidic woman uh, who showed us her house. But I also have a Purim visit in Hasidic Williamsburg. I have a Hanukkah visit. Um, I have a tour of the neighborhood. Uh, I can't even remember. I've done a couple of things. I, I do some unboxing of toys and conversations. My goal is just to share um, and contextualize. I do get a lot of messages from people who tell me, thank you for the positive portrayal. It makes me very uncomfortable because I, I don't want to be stuck in a place where I feel like my job is to be a, I'm very uncomfortable with defending, but I... I'm surprised that people call it positive. And I think that fact that people call it positive speaks so much to their Correct. expectations. Correct. It's so, if you didn't show a, a pedophile and a murderer. Exactly. Um, then, wow, woo, this is great representation. I, I completely agree. And look, I did not see the humanity 
um, in the world that you came from. I mean, frankly, anybody in a wig or a beard, um, we, we really did. We were proud Jews, so you could not accuse us of being self-hating Jews, but we did not see them as fully Cuban. We felt uh, deep pity for them. Um, you know, I think there's a mentality that if you found some like, you know, tribe, indigenous tribe in the Amazon somewhere, it would be inappropriate to uh, kind of go into their space and try to modernize them or, you know, mm -hmm. westernize them because it's this pristine people that are living. And yet there's definitely this sort of savior complex that I think a lot of people have. If we could just save those poor Hasidim. And I think what you're bringing to the table with your tours, with, you know, the videos you're creating is that it's, it's complicated and some people are happy and some people are less happy and they're human just like everyone else. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's the hope. That's the hope. So, and I think, by the way, that doesn't have to put you in, you know, any one specific box. And I, I think, I hope what people can see is that, you know, if someone who left, it wasn't the right fit can see the humanity. I hope there's hope for people, you know, uh, from walks of life, Jewish, non-Jewish, you know, all uh, religious persuasions and, and none at all um, to be able to see that, like, you know, sort of that one lens only um, is damaging. And, uh, you know, we can, human beings are complex and, and societies are complex and families are complex and and, um, and the Jewish people are, are part of all those things. So um, I don't want to praise you too much, you know. Um, <laughs> no, you know, no, do, don't do that. That, that, can ruin, that can ruin your street cred in other places, but, um, but it really is a, a breath of fresh air to, um, hear from someone who has been hurt. And again, really my heart goes out to you for how you were treated. Um, I think there are a lot of people that um, would take you and your son and in any form, you know, to, to be, you know, side by side as Jews, um, whenever, you know, if to, to any extent that you're interested to, to participate in, in the Jewish community. Um, and I think your perspective is uh, unique and important. Um, and I hope a lot of people will, uh, you know, listen to your messages. Oh, thank you. Thank you for, for, the conversation and the invites. I suppose that's yeah. what that was. Yes, it was an invitation from me, and then also probably a whole lot of people listening. Um, I, you know, our our uh, listenership, um, I think, are made up of people that are like minded. Um, and I'll tell you when. I first posted your story and this other couple's story. And I said, who here wants to get involved? We had about 200 people comment from around the world saying they wanted to step up and help make space for people who had not been included. So um, I know that doesn't undo the hurt that was done initially, but there are, as you know, there are people that, um, that are good in our community. So thank you so much. And Hatzlacha um, with all of your work. Oh, thank you, Allison. Okay. And thanks so much for listening. You can catch the same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.